You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1007 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by the good folks at Michelob Ultra. With only two pieces of carbs, 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Today's show will feature an interview that I did with Jackson Frank, good friend of the podcast, been on this show several times before. Jackson writes all over the internet about the NBA and the draft and college basketball and WNBA, etc. He is very smart and he also covers the Sixers, and the Hawks are now playing the Sixers in the next round. So in addition to all of his expertise elsewhere, including on the Hawks, I will definitely trust Jackson to give you that Philadelphia perspective. So that's coming up momentarily, and all kinds of stuff on the Hawks and the matchup and series, etc. Um, before we get to that, though, the full schedule, as I record this, is not out just yet for Hawks Sixers, but Game 1 is now set for 1 o'clock Eastern on Sunday on ABC. So an early time if you are not in the Eastern time zone, for sure. But uh, that'll be an interesting game. Obviously, a sort of a showcase spot on national TV, broadcast network TV. And uh, we now say goodbye to the Bally Sports Broadcast. Front of the podcast, Bob Rathman and company have now finished up their run this season. So it's all national the rest of the way. My apologies to those of you who like the local broadcast. I definitely understand that. But you are stuck now with the national folks. And that begins on Sunday. Um, also, the staff Joel Embiid. As I'm recording this, it's not been settled at any point in time, so Game 1 is a potential opportunity for the Hawks to steal a game on the road. Obviously, Philly has home court advantage. That's always uh, going to be a huge factor in any series, but with B potentially not himself or not playing, etc., could be a wide-open spot, maybe a potentially like a rusty spot for Philly in the afternoon game as well. So circle that one, and we'll come back to that, of course, later on in the weekend. Uh, today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth if you enjoy it, and 95 calories to what's his carbs. It's even easier to enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Last thing before we get to Jackson, uh, the series odds are now available for Hawks Sixers, and they're very nuanced in nature. Our friends at Battle AG, of course, um, they are the best in the business, as we always say, but they opened the Hawks as a plus 165 underdog in the series. That means the Sixers are a minus 190 favorite as of the opener on Thursday. At the same time, the sportsbook manager at BetOnline.eg actually put on the record, they don't always do this, but they definitely said this out loud and was in the release, etc. Um, the Sixers actually would have opened minus 350 if Joel Embiid was healthy without any uncertainty. And in that scenario, the Hawks would have been plus 275. So that's obviously a pretty big swing. It makes sense because Embiid's that good, but that's uh, notable. From an implied odds standpoint, the current line is about 65-35 in favor of Philadelphia. It, the Embiid healthy line would have been about 78-22 to 22 percentage points for the Sixers. So not a small amount. Uh, Philly's still favored. I said it yesterday on the podcast. I'll say it again now. If we knew, again, this, we, we do not know this, but if we knew Embiid was not going to play in the series, I think the Hawks are, are the better team. That's what I'll say. Um, if Embiid's going to be around, uh, even at a you know relative limit capacity, I definitely understand why Philly would be favored. But... If you knew, and obviously they don't know this, it's really hard to put a line out or have any predictions right now because of the, uh, the sort of shroud of uncertainty around Embiid. But it goes to say, like, Embiid could play, and this line is still pretty modest, which kind of tells you what people are thinking. The Hawks are, are definitely a live underdog in the series. And in my mind, if Embiid did not play, the Hawks would be the favorite, even without home court, home court advantage. So that's my own take, but uh, I'll leave it there for now. All right, before we get to the podcast with Jackson and that fun discussion, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is rockauto.com. 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I am joined now by a friend of the podcast and an observer of all things basketball, but also of the Sixers. So you're in enemy territory here, Jackson. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing well. How are you today? I'm all right. Uh, you know, you and I work together and uh, talk about all things basketball. But uh, quite honestly, you were my first call to bring in the Sixers voice. But I, I do want to start on some Hawks stuff because I know you watched the uh, Hawks-Knicks series. And uh, obviously, they were pretty impressive and kind of dominant against the Knicks. Uh, I'll open it up here what did you make of that performance? Was it as impressive as it seemed to you? Um, was it just the matchup stuff? Like, what do you take from Hawks Knicks as the next series uh, sort of arrives now? Yeah, I so I didn't do any formal playoff prediction, but if people asked me, I would you know I kind of made series by series picks. I think I picked the Hawks in six, so I expected them to win it, I guess, comfortably. You know, never really I mean never really get into doubt in terms of seven games, but I didn't quite expect it to be this comfortable. You know, I thought like I thought. I thought this would be a tough matchup for Julius Randle because of, you know, having the Hawks having kind of the, the wings to throw at him and then also, you know, just have Capella always looming because, the, quite frankly, the Knicks don't really have a lot of other credible offensive threats, so that makes it easier. Um, but I but I was very impressed, whether it was whether it was Trey doing his thing in the pick and roll, whether it was Bogdan Bogdanovich playing on and off the ball, um, Capella very much locking down the paint. Um, Granted, all, all the defensive caveats are important because the Knicks don't have a very good offense. Um, but I, I was definitely impressed with just the way that, that it felt like Atlanta kind of mostly got whatever it wanted. Even even in game two when it lost, the, you go back and watch kind of that second half, the Hawks got a lot of really good shots. So yeah. like that's why that game didn't ever really determine. Like, it didn't feel like, oh, like, now it's 1-1. Like, yes, of course, the Hawks now have home court advantage. But it's like I didn't feel like that was a, a series destined for seven games after that After that you know, that game two showing they just, they, the process was good. They just missed, missed good looks from three a lot. So I, I was very impressed with them on both ends. Um, and I, I think you're kind of, I think you're seeing how good the Hawks can be when they're at full strength, you know, bolstered by kind of the, the revitalization that, that Nate McMillan has brought. So um, this is a really good team. I think is, you know, whether they make it or any, any further in the second round is, is to be determined, but it's a very good team with lots of talent and it's kind of mostly finally healthy and you're, you're seeing, you know, that combined with a, a very good matchup for them. Yeah, you sort of did the work for me there as a segue, but uh, I have been asking pretty much all of my guests the last two or three weeks a very broad question, but it's basically a, a version of what you just said about the Hawks now being healthy and now being sort of the version of themselves. I know Reddish is still out, but other than that, um, they kind of this is what they wanted to be coming in and my question basically is how good are the Hawks which is a very simple question but it's also one that um, makes sense to me anyway because you know the record is what it is and all that stuff but this is a different team that they've than they've had basically all season long so how good are they in a vacuum and we'll, we'll obviously dive into the Philly series but just kind of Hawks only 
what, like, what do you think of them as like now with, with their current yeah. baseline? Yeah. I mean, I, I, even before, I know we'll, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but obviously I'll just come out like, but even before the Joel Embiid news and the injury, I thought they would pose a pretty serious threat to that series. I wouldn't have picked them, yep. um, but I thought that would be a good series. I don't think it'll be a good series regardless, but I think this is a team that, that can win a couple of games, maybe win three games in the second round. And now with the Embiid news, maybe make it out of the second round. I, I like, I, I am very impressed with them. I, I think the record, like, I thought people kind of got caught too got caught too caught up, excuse me, in the fact that the Knicks and Hawks had the same record because the Knicks didn't really deal with that many injuries throughout the year. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson has missed most of the season, but they didn't deal with a lot of injuries. They didn't have any like, if I recall, I don't want to I don't want to misspeak, but they don't they have any huge long prolonged you know COVID absences, which is a wild phrase to even say. <laughs> yeah, but they they were mostly healthy, and there there is kind of there is a matter of the fact that the Knicks played hard all year, and that's not to say other teams don't. But when you have a team like that who kind of always maximizes its personnel in the regular season, sometimes that you can kind of get the get a little overrated. So uh, I think this is a really good Hawks team. I I, I think there's by there's definitely a chance that we see some some Eastern Conference Finals games in Atlanta, especially now because of the Embiid news. But um, I'm intrigued by them now. But I'm especially intrigued by them with you know with next year if they keep Collins, if Trey takes another step forward, like this Reddish kid. Then what does Hunter do in year three? Like. What does Collins do in year five or six if he's still there? So I think this is a very good team as is, but um, even more intriguing is just how much kind of young in its prime talent that Atlanta has right now. So a uh, very good team would be my answer. Yeah, I mean, obviously we could go down a rabbit hole forever on on that question, but I think that not this is not you. You are someone who watches games, <laughs> but a lot of the uh, a lot of the I don't I don't want to lean too far into this, but a lot of the national discussion about the Hawks before the series started was kind of, uh, I think, overlooked Atlanta just a tad, uh, especially Trey and sort of the depth overall. And I think that's justifiable on some level because of they, they were not the team that we saw in the playoffs until then. We we knew that. If you pay close mm-hmm. enough attention, you, you would know that the Hawks were, never had their team, basically, until, you know, mid-April. Um, uh, and and even, even that was actually really past even that. Then, we look at the Sixers-Hawks Hawks matchup, like the, the, the Sixers and Hawks played a couple times in April and the Hawks weren't healthy either time. So no. you had you had to catch the Hawks on very specific nights, and that's tough to do if you're covering the league on a national basis and you have other things to do. So I, I'm with you that I think that was overlooked, but I can't blame people because it was it was tough to find a huge sample of the fully healthy or mostly healthy Hawks to really know uh, what type of team it, it is. Yeah. Every time I tweeted out some stat about a lineup combination or something like that late in the season, I would get a response from someone who doesn't cover the team but covers the league, and is like, "Right? Is that is that true?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> that this like their starting lineup in the, in game one had played like 15 minutes the entire season together. It's just <laughs> remarkable stuff that you just don't normally see. So anyway, uh, that I think that's a pretty good sort of um, palate cleanser, and now we can talk a little bit about Hawks Sixers. Um, I want to start with Embiid because it's obviously the number one thing that everyone. Is talking about, and I know you're not um, going to know anything that I don't know about this at this point in time in terms of his actual status. But let's just get out, of, got in front of this here. Obviously, how how big of it, how, how big of a swing is it if he's healthy versus not healthy versus playing? You know, all the various options or factors that could be in play here. What's your sort of view at this point in time? Acknowledge that we that none of us actually know. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because I don't know. I guess my, my answer would be, I think right now I would pick the Hawks to win this series because I just, I don't know what I'm like. I don't know what dated. I mean, small meniscus tear day to day. I don't know what that means. How, like, like, I don't exactly, I mean, that's, that's kind of par for the course of the Sixers and Embiid news. If it's something, <laughs> if it's something notable, they historically have been quite vague about things. If it's, if it's up, like when he had the bone bruise, they were pretty quick about that. And it turned out to be what, a two or three week absence. Like, wasn't that, 
you know, notable of an absence. But it seems like whenever there's a, a significant thing with Embiid, you, they don't really let on much. Uh, so I, I don't know what day-to-day exactly means. It's very vague to me. But I think it's a huge deal um, because they because so much of what they do on both ends revolves around him. And you can look at it even from a Hawks matchup perspective. Like Part of the reason Trey was so good against the Knicks is because they never took away the floater. And when they did, they just threw it to Capella. Uh, and, you know, Nerlens Noel is a, is a pretty good drop, drop defender and whatnot, but he was limited down the stretch, too. So that hurt him in terms of playing the one-on-twos. Embiid is a very good, you know, one-on-two defender. He struggled early in his career and has been better this year, but his ability to probably take away the floater and maybe force Trey to think about the lob would have been huge in, the, in that regard. So beyond just the offensive impact that a guy like Embiid has, given the level he's scoring at this season um, and the attention he commands, defensively in this specific matchup, I think it really hurts them. So um, I feel like I have a, I mean, I don't want to say like a cop-out, it's like I have a better read once <laughs> the series starts, but, I'll, but I will have a better read to know like if he plays, like what's the update by Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning, like in, terms, like in maybe even game two, things like that. So uh, it's so tough to project. I know that nobody can expect either of us to have a, a great read of this series given that variable, but uh, I got a favorite Atlanta because, as I said earlier, I think this would have been a great series, a very good series, even with Embiid healthy. Um, and now that he's, he's a question mark to even play, and if he does play, he probably will be compromised by some degree. I just, I mean, the Hawks are really good. I I, I don't want to just keep belaboring that, but it, but it's true. It, they, they are a very good team, and when one team is down an MVP finalist and its best player, that makes it a, a lot more complicated and tougher. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Before we get to uh, some other stuff about the series and some, you know, some advantages, some disadvantages, etc., a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA. And you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. The promo code, one more time, is LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Jackson, uh, I want to stay on the Embiid thing because uh, we can can sort of explore the various aspects of him being in and out. Um, I think, number one, at least in my mind, would be would be the offense. So let's let's start on that on that side of the floor. Um, Philly is not like a dominant offensive team anyway. They're they're good on offense when when Embiid is around um, in terms of their overall and uh, their numbers and, and that stuff. My question to you would be, uh, you know, it goes without saying that he's, it'd be a huge impact that they didn't have him, but. Are they like what? What's that offense even look like in a real series? You know, they play the Wizards and scored effectively, but that's that's the Wizards. Um, what's that offense look like if he's not there for a, a, even a game or two in the series? Yeah, so I think I think you could still see kind of the, the philosophy behind it yesterday, or in, you know, in Game Five. Obviously, yes, the caveat is that the Wizards. Like I, every time people would like talk about the Wizards Sixers series, my retort often was the Wizards are thirty four and thirty eight. Um, which <laughs> I don't want to discredit them, but the fact of the matter is they played a team four games under 500. It's just, you know, that's not a great barometer for future series. But um, I think you saw the process there that they're, 
They're going to run things through Tobias Harris. They're going to run things through Joel Embiid, and, or not, excuse me, Joel Embiid's not playing, uh, Ben Simmons, and, and Seth Curry. I mean, Seth Curry had 30 points last night. Obviously, he's not going to go 10 of 17 and get to the line seven times every game. But you saw the idea that, you know, Curry plays off the ball so much when he's surrounded by the Sixers' big three. Uh, and then when you take away the biggest variable of that, they're kind of the Sixers' offensive bedrock. He gets more chances to run, you know, those DHOs and early offense with, with Ben Simmons or those side pick and rolls kind of throughout the throughout this possession. Um, and he's got a pretty nice, solid little, like, off-the-bounce game. Obviously, he's limited with with his size, but I think you're going to see more Seth Curry on the ball. You're going to see try and get more creative ways for, for Tobias to get into his spots. And then Ben Ben Simmons is obviously always going to push the ball, but even more so when the priority isn't kind of the, the lumbering big man. I don't want to say lumbering. That's, you know, that's, but the guy who likes to play slower in MB, you know, so there's, yeah. there's lots kind of a, you know, there's, and MB did like play fairly fast this year, especially compared to previous years. But, you know, the idea is that Ben Simmons kind of becomes a central point there. So even though he's already always trying to look for transition points, there's less of an emphasis to maybe slow it at times when there's nothing there because you can go to MB who averaged 30 on, you know, 52% shooting this year or whatever. So, uh, that's kind of the, the the idea there is you're going to see Harris posts ups you know side pick and rolls with Seth Curry and and Ben Simmons kind of maybe working from the post or the elbows and and constantly pushing the ball and then sprinkle in with the occasional Danny Green baseline cut that he's made famous for you know ten years now. Yeah, I do think that this is going to be very simplified, but I do think that even without Embiid, Philly has a better offensive chance to score in the series than New York did. That's a low bar because New York just couldn't score the entire series. But I, I would hesitate. Uh, at least for Hawks fans, to just not think that this is going to be uh, a cakewalk defensively if Embiid's not playing. Um, there's st- there's still talent there. I think Seth Curry in particular is an undervalued guy. You know, Ben Simmons, everybody knows who that is, and Tobias Harris, but Seth Curry is uh, pretty scary off- offensively in a lot of different ways. Uh, I guess, um, what would you, if, if you're Philadelphia, if you're on that side of things observing this, what what gives you confidence offensively in this series? Um, I guess with Embiid and then without, however you want to take that. But what's a matchup that you like? Or what what's an, an approach that you like? Um, is it just that simple, like what you were just discussing, or is there something they can like pick on? Can they pick on Trey? Like what do you what, what was what sort of the approach be offensively for the Sixers in the series for you? Yeah, well, part of part of this what makes us so tough about the Embiid stuff is I don't know who the fifth starter is going to be. It changes. They start, <laughs> yeah, they started Matisse Thybulle on Game Five against the Wizards, but Tyrese Maxey played ten more minutes and closed. I mean, he closed in the you know before the before the Sixers emptied their bench. So like I, I but Doc was asked yesterday or after the game if he considered starting Tyrese Maxey. He said no. So I don't think that's going to be a change. It doesn't mean that Maxey can't get starter minutes. We've seen Doc do that. At, like Doc is kind of notorious throughout his career for not necessarily having the same starting lineup as a closing lineup. We'll kind of go with a hot hand there. So I just, I don't know. Like I, I expect, I mean, Maxie's been playing so well. And again, as you mentioned, it's, it's a step up to go from the Wizards to the Hawks, but Maxie's been improving kind of over the last two or three months. I expect him to play a big role, especially because they need someone who can kind of carry off the dribble and, you know, force defenses to throw multiple bodies at a guy. And that's what Maxie can do, um, which is, is kind of maybe an issue in the Sixers' sense that they're relying on the 21st pick in, in last year's draft to an extent. Um, but I expect him to play heavy minutes. And in that sense, I think basically if you can have a starting five of, or not a starting, an optimal five is the way I would phrase it, of Maxi, Seth, Ben, Tobias, and and Danny Green, I mean, the best option for, to, to put Trey on is Danny Green, I guess. And Trey, to put it lightly, his off-ball awareness in that last series and kind of in general is not very good. And Danny Green is a very good off-ball mover. So if that's where they go, Danny will just bounce back and forth along the baseline to the corners and he'll get... He'll get eight open threes in 14 minutes, and they'll probably have to go somewhere else because Danny, if anything, is never shy about shooting the ball. Um, so I think I don't want to just say they'll try and target 
you know, Trey Young, and they shouldn't just fact value an entire game plan around that. But I do think it matters. Like, there's a big difference between putting Trey Young on Danny Green and putting him on Matisse Thibel. So um, I think it's got to be kind of figuring out what exactly they do in the starting lineup. But then also, I think Ben, I mean, I think it's got to be Ben or Tobias has got to be great too because, there's a, again, there's a big difference. The Hawks have kind of some of the big bodies, whether it's Hunter or, or Gallo, to maybe at times throw on, or John Collins even, to kind of throw on, on Ben and Tobias, whereas the Wizards have like one playable wing and it was Rui Hachimura. And <laughs> yeah. Rui is a nice scorer, but, you know, especially off-ball defense and getting through screens is not really his forte defensively. So much uh, different matchup, but I think it's got to be one of those, the those two guys plus targeting whoever Trey is guarding to really, you know, extract value consistently offensively without Embiid. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And honestly, um, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but the numbers, and at least the on-off numbers, um, this might be surprising to people, but the, the Sixers were actually pretty good defensively with, with Joel off the floor. It was the offense that really was the big swing on off with, with Embiid. They were awesome when he played and not awesome when he didn't for the, for the season, which obviously that's just, that's just one number, but you know, I was going to ask you about the defense, which I guess I can just do now. It seems to me that Philly still has a pretty good path to being pretty good defensively. If Embiid is out, would you disagree with me there? And if, if, if so, how are they going to do it? Um, especially if he's not there. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because they did look pretty good, especially in the second half um, against the, the Wizards in Game 5. Like, in early on, they didn't, like, they took them some time to adjust to the fact that they didn't have, you know, a top three or five rim protector back there. Um, but they figured out they kind of were more aggressive on the perimeter. They, I mean, with the Wizards have so little shooting that they kind of, you know, loaded up the paint and stuff. Um, but I, I would say I'm still skeptical because the Hawks inversely have a lot of shooting. And if you load the paint, Trey will just, you know, It'll be death by a thousand live dribble skip passes as the Hawks learned in that series. So um, I'm pretty skeptical against an offense and kind of a versatile offense like the Hawks um, because part of the reason Washington wasn't super good offensive in the series because it's Bradley Beal and it's Russ if Russ's jumper is clicking and Russ's jumper was not clicking in that series. So um, I'm pretty skeptical, but I do agree that I think you're, you're – you have enough there, you know, Dwight Howard isn't going to start because you don't want to play him and Ben Simmons heavy minutes together because that's tough offensively. Um, but Dwight's been a, a pretty solid backup center, particularly on defense at times. Like he can, he can, I mean, as you, I'm sure you know, cause you covered Dwight Howard. Like he old can, friend. Yes. He can be a little overly like he can pursue blocks to a fault at times. Um, but he's a pretty, like, I don't know. I haven't checked recently, but like the room protection numbers during the regular season were good. I guess obviously he's a, he's playing 15, 16 minutes a night, but, uh, so that's kind of my long-winded way of saying I'm pretty skeptical, especially against a, a team like the Hawks. But I do think there's at least okay, there there are avenues to being passable because you have a guy like Ben Simmons who's you know going to make an all-defensive first team, or he should. You have a, a very good and smart defender like Danny Green. You have Matisse Thybul. Um, Tobias Harris has some faults on defense, but he's improved a ton this year. Um, you know Dwight's good. Like you you have guys. George Hill is a, a very fine and versatile kind of guard defender. So. There are the pieces there, but you just can't replace a guy like Embiid, who is a great rim predictor and also a great rim deterrence, um, which is often even more valuable. If you can if you can force a guy to not, you know, even consider a shot, which obviously that's what you, what you saw the Knicks do a lot against Capella, it's even more valuable. So uh, I would say I'm a wait and see mode, but my my initial thought is that I'm skeptical of the Sixers really having a, a highly formidable defense in this uh, without Embiid. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think Dwight is uh, is pretty good in his role, but you don't want him playing 30 minutes a night, like you just said. And uh, I, I guess this is the natural follow up. There would be what are they going to do again if we if we assume Embiid is out for at least part of the series, if and maybe he'll play the whole series, and we'll talk about that too. But if he was not available, what's their plan in terms of 
oh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll check. What, what would your plan be when Dwight's not out there? Like, what what is their approach? I guess overall in a world that does not include Embiid, but you're not starting Dwight or not playing Dwight thirty minutes a night. Like, what's the rest of that look like? Is it is it Bennett center? Like, what's going to happen there? You think Mike Scott is going to play a bigger role? Uh, if Mike Scott plays a bigger role, you can just chalk it up to the Hawks and six, honestly. Haw- Hawks legend Mike Scott, no, no less. Yeah. A couple, couple Hawks legends here. First year Sixers, I mean, Mike Scott was great the first year he came over in the bias trade, but he's had so many injuries the last couple of years that have really hurt him. Um, but, I mean, I, it can't be Mike Scott. I, like, I, I agree. I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to make fun of Mike Scott. That, like, that wasn't my intention. He just isn't no. a rotation player at this point in his career because of, you, you can just tell he can't move as well defensively because of, of his knees and so many of his his threes are short. He just doesn't have it anymore. Um, I don't I'm, think it'll be Mike Scott play like three minutes in game five. Uh, Doc likes him. He has familiarity with him there. And and one thing Doc in any coach really it likes the familiarity, but he went away from, from Scott pretty quickly. So it'll be a lot of Bennett five, honestly. The part of the issue, you know, the, I, I think the Sixers were smart to trade for George Hill. Don't get me wrong. But part of the issue is in that deal, they traded both Tony Bradley and Vincent Poirier away. And those were their third and fourth string centers. And the way they filled out the rest of the roster was Anthony Tolliver. And Anthony Tolliver is a power forward. And last time I checked, the Sixers have like four of those already, whether it's Ben or Tobias or even Mike Scott. Um, so I think that's kind of an issue in the sense that like they didn't replace, didn't go for a third string center. And you kind of like, you don't ever want to, you don't ever want to like, oh, what if Joel gets injured? But you kind of have to know with someone like Joel's injury history that you might need an insurance insurance big man. And they never really got that. Um, at the same time, if you're relying on a third string center over Ben Simmons at the five, like I know the Ben Simmons is his faults at the five, but like I, I, I understand kind of rolling with your all NBA all-star guy and seeing what you can do there. So it'll be a heavy dose of Ben at the five. Um, that, I mean, they're not going to start Dwight. They just won't do it. It's, Doc likes to kind of give those guys their clear roles off the bench. Um, like he, he started Dwight at times early in the year when Joel started with missed games, but over the last maybe, maybe four months, he's kind of gone away from that and started somebody else instead. So um, it'll be a heavy dose of Ben at the five, and I, I I don't know how well that can work. I mean, it's going to be have to it's going to be a lot of switching, um, and somehow trying to find a way to take away the Capella lob and and force Capella to catch it and make a post move. Because even though Capella has improved in the post over his past few years, that's still an optimal outcome, right? You'd still rather have him take a hook shot than dunking the ball over over a smaller lineup. So uh, short answer is we'll see Dwight for 15, 17 minutes a night most likely if Joel doesn't play, um, and we'll, then we'll see a lot of a lot of Ben playing kind of point center more or less. He'll handle the ball on offense, but um, he'll kind of be the tallest guy in the lineup. But uh, Tobias is kind of their de facto center. Like he was the guy kind of playing inside a lot. Um, and that's not ideal that you see some issues there. So um, Ben, I would say the answer is Ben will be the tallest guy on the floor. I don't know if he'll necessarily be the nominal center, you know, in terms of defensive responsibilities. I'll be very interested to see if they're doing that a lot, um, what, the, what the Hawks do with Capella in those lineups not that he's incapable of being out there or anything but obviously he's more comfortable just kind of staying near the rim and it does help that Simmons can't shoot that's obviously helpful for Capella but I will be just intrigued to see what the counters are if any I mean maybe they'll just kind of you know let Clint do Clint stuff and hang around near the rim against that lineup but that's one of the questions I actually have in my brain and that will probably not be answered until we see the series it's just like how how do the Hawks approach that because they haven't had to see that the Knicks played big the entire series basically we just haven't seen what McMillan will do with Capella against that kind of group. Yeah, and that and that's and that's kind of the ripple effect, right, of Joel Embiid's absence because in this scenario, if Ben is playing the five or he's the tallest guy on the floor, like the Hawks match up fairly well size wise. Like you go Capella on Ben, and Capella's a great rim protector, so he can take away what Ben likes to do, and and he's a he's a fine enough mover, right? Like he's not some incapable mover, and if Ben gives him like change of direction, things like that. Um, and then you throw Collins on Tobias, and Collins is a pretty fairly fluid mover for for a power forward just like tobias um 
Tobias won't have some huge strength advantage over him where he can post him up, which is where Tobias has been great throughout the year. Um, and then you you have kind of the you know, Trey. Yes, is, uh, you'll have to figure out where to put Trey. Like again, it, all it depends on who starts and who plays big minutes in that sense. But like th- that's kind of the thing is you when the Sixers are fully healthy, they've got three dudes who are six nine or taller, and most of the teams don't have that. And basically, all three of them can do some sort of offense on the perimeter, and that's a tough ask. And now without Embiid, you kind of downsize to an extent, and the Hawks are able to to match that much, much better. Um, so I think it'll be fascinating to kind of see how that works. I mean, you throw, obviously, the under-100s out there, too. Like, he's he's a, he's a guy that you could... I mean, I think he's kind of the optimal, you know, matchup against Ben Simmons, but you can't throw Clint Capella on Tobias Harris no. or Dan, things like that. You, you don't you don't want to, and, and you shouldn't. You don't, you don't want to take your rim protector away from the rim. So... Um, yeah, I just think, I mean, there's so many, I mean, we can do like literally an entire podcast about how MB changes matchups. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just in the matchups is one component of that, but yeah, I mean, it just, it makes it easier for the Hawks to kind of match up because the Sixers are no longer this, this jumbo starting five where they have th- four dudes who are six, seven or taller. And then Seth Curry who's you know, one of the best off ball shooters in the NBA. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they, uh, what, what both sides do. Like you said, we could do an hour on just like what all the ramifications are and, I tried to do a little bit of that, but obviously we only have so much time. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, you can do more than one if you'd like to, but I was going to ask you for for one one thing you're worried about from the Sixers side and one thing you're encouraged about from the Sixers side, which basically is the inverse for Hawks fans if you're listening to this. But um, what are you confident in? What are you not confident in um, if you're Philly? So confident-wise, I would say it's Seth Curry's aggression in this last series. His big thing all year, and even, you know, has been how confident is he in his shot? He's pat- like he's passed up open threes at times throughout the year. The time, other times he's been really quick to hunt them and get them off. And in this series, he was pretty aggressive, especially in this last game in game five, when he dropped 30 points. So I think like, I feel pretty confident that he's going to have a, a fairly favorable matchup um, for him. And just the way he's playing right now in terms of getting to his shots off the bounce and also being pretty quick trigger as an off ball player. Um, I think that's, that's kind of a, a guy that you're going to need to, to, I mean, he averaged, I think, 16 points per game in this last series, just under that. You're going to need him to average, you know, if MB doesn't play, average 16 to 18. Um, and it's been a tough year for him. Obviously, he was kind of one of the first guys to contract COVID, and he's talked about, you know, he's still kind of, he doesn't always feel 100%. He's still kind of working through conditioning and stuff. And so kind of the up and down nature of, of that rehab and recovery has been kind of expected in terms of how he feels about getting to his spots. But um, he looked really good in that series against the Wizards. And, and it wasn't just the the, sh- the fact that he was making shots. It was the fact that he was seeking them out. So, and that's one area you should be confident in. But an area that I that I was kind of talking about earlier too, I guess, or getting alluding to is that the Sixers don't have that size advantage like they did against the Wizards, right? Like Tobias got to his spots so cleanly and, you know, I think he averaged like 25 on 59% true shooting, um, you know, which is a very good number. And he had that big game one and he had a couple of other efficient outings. Um, I just, he just won't be able to get to those spots the same way again. Like John Collins has issues defensively, but he is a very fluid mover for a four. He's, I mean, I guess the, the solution there would, you'd have to be put in through some screens, which is similar to Rui, but he's still, he's still like a better defender than Rui Hachimura. Um, and then you, you like, what has been, how does Ben Simmons score in the half court? Like that's always going to be a pressing issue, but like the, the Hawks can throw Hunter at him at times. They can throw Gallinari. I mean, they can throw, they can throw Capella in the starting lineup as you talked about. So, those two kind of those big wings that had significant advantages both during the regular season and in the first round without Embiid, I don't know if that advantage is there, you know, in this matchup. So that's where I'm kind of worried because those are their two best players, the two 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 best healthy players, I should say. And I just don't know if they're going to have kind of the same level of, you know, chances to get to their spots and do what they need to offensively. Yeah, this is what I meant to ask you earlier, but I'll do it now before I forget and before we get out of here. Um, 
what do you think they're going to do against Trey, uh, both broadly and also matchup wise? Because you know they obviously have some options with Simmons and Tybal, et cetera. Like, what, what, what what's plan A against Trey? You think? I think it'll be Ben Simmons. Um, and truthfully, that's tough because the one the one archetype that has really given Ben trouble over the last couple of years since he kind of announced himself as an you know an all defensive caliber guy, a first team all defensive guy, has been the quicker guards. Um, you know, Kemba's given him issues at time. Last year, Kemba Kemba hasn't as much this year because he has been dealing with his own stuff. But Kemba, guy like a guy like that, um, Trey is someone who's at times given Ben a lot of issues. So I think they'll throw Ben on him at first. Um, and I think anytime Trey is, you know, what they did against B a lot, and those, these are different players, but they they iced and pushed basically every pick and roll they could, especially on the sides. Um, and so anytime Trey is running the side pick and roll, which is he runs a lot less of than the Wizards do. I mean, the Hawks like to run a lot of that that early action double drag things like that from the top of the key. Um, which makes it it's much tougher to prevent the middle in that situation. But I think they'll try and they'll throw Ben on them. They'll try and use his size to force Trey away from screens. Um, and they'll also, I think, like, I think this will be a fairly notable Thibel series. Uh, but, but it's tough, too, because you're without your best offensive player, and, and Thibel obviously doesn't give you a ton offensively. So um, I think those would kind of be the first two cracks, cracks, you know, or be the guys who get the first two cracks at Trey. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Danny Green. But again, that's Trey as an archetype, a, a small, shifty, quick guard. Can give Danny Green issues, um, or at least he can shoot, um, because he defended Russ very well. But he could sag off Russ and kind of take away the rim there. So, um, I would expect a lot. I would expect some trapping too. They, they experimented with that, but but Trey is he's really good against traps. I mean, that's part of the issue is there aren't a lot of good answers, um, and your best answer is Matisse Thybulle, who really kind of compromises you offensively or, or challenges things. So, um, Ben should get the first first crack, I think. But uh, and this doesn't take away from Ben, but it's just an archetype he struggles with. So I, I don't know if it's going to be as as effective as you know Ben has been against a lot of these all-star and all-NBA caliber caliber guards the last couple of years. There, there'll be a lot of uh, nuance and adjustments and things uh, over the course of the series. I know you you said earlier that you might pick the Hawks right now, given all the uncertainty with Embiid. I'm gonna have you make two predictions because I'm gonna do the same thing. I think later on, um, I, I have said that if Embiid was out, I would firmly pick the Hawks in the series. That doesn't, that doesn't mean they couldn't they, they couldn't win, but I think they are um, the better team if Embiid is just completely yeah. out. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if he was completely in, I would take the Sixers. I think everyone pretty much would. Uh, I guess to put it to put it uh, unfairly to you, let's <laughs> let's start let's start here. If Embiid just doesn't play, which I think is not going to happen, but it could. Mm-hmm. I assume you pick the Hawks in that scenario, given what you said. Yeah, I give I I take the Hawks in like five or six, honestly, which is not not trying to discredit the Sixers. It's more of a testament to how important Joel Embiid is than anything. And so I, if any, yeah. yeah, it's not again, it's not taking away from Sixers. It's just they need their their best player. That's how important he is. Yeah, and then I guess the the other one is basically I think no one is assuming that Embiid's going to be a hundred percent from game one to game yes. seven. Um, I, I I guess he could, but I'd be uh, kind of kind of surprising <laughs> I, to me. He's done some pretty incredible things this year. Maybe he maybe he figured that out. I don't know. I mean, I said this before you before I brought you in in the intro, but um, our our, our sponsor BetOnline.ag made the Sixers like a sixty five percent favorite today, and obviously that's a, that's a big hedge. That's their current available price. And that's and they even came out and said, which, which they never do. They came out and said this in public that they would have made it Sixers minus uh, three fifty if Embiid was healthy. So <laughs> it's like they're building it in, but they're also still favoring Philly. Like, I mean, I, I get that because you're it's kind of a hedge. Like Embiid might play a couple games. It might be he might play the whole series, but not be himself. Like I don't know. It's it's so impossible to make predictions about the series. So I'm not even gonna make you. I feel like I don't know. We, we kind of said enough. I think. <laughs> it's I mean this. I, I think this is a tough matchup for the Sixers regardless of Embiid's status. And so I would have picked like I think if I if Embiid plays let's say if he plays more than fifty percent of the games, I think I would pick the Sixers in like 
in seven, I think. But I think it would be tough. I mean, because Doc has said that they won't play Embiid if he's not able to play heavy minutes and if he's at if he's at risk for like really further serious injury, um, which I guess maybe means they won't play Embiid because he he tore his meniscus three days ago. Yeah. Uh, small 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 tear his meniscus. Excuse me. I should use the proper phrasing from the Sixers. <laughs> um, Good head. But yeah. I think if Embiid plays kind of maybe more than half the games, I'd pick the Sixers in seven. But as you said, he's going to be compromised regardless, most likely, unless he is able to pull a rabbit out of his hat, which, again, he's done a lot of incredible things throughout his career in this year. But uh, especially for a guy like that, who he relies so much on kind of his acceleration and deceleration and movement skills on both ends. That's not to say other guys don't, but, you know, I was talking with Mike Prada uh, yesterday on Locker Room. Uh, and we were kind of like, you compare this to Jokic, where yes, if Jokic tore his meniscus, it'd be a huge deal regardless, but he doesn't rely on kind of the same, doesn't rely on his physical skills as much. Um, and so that, that's a tough thing for Embiid, but a long-winded way of saying, I think the Sixers could, win, could certainly win this if Embiid plays, but uh, it's going to be really tough when your MVP finalist and, you know, guy who's been playing like a top three player all year uh, goes down and is, you know, questionable to to play and very doubtful to play at 100% throughout the series. Yeah, we, we, both, we both said it, but it's worth saying uh, again. I, we both seem to have liked this matchup for the Hawks regardless. Um, mm. I, I was on record for a, for probably a month before this, before the playoffs that if you were picking one of the top three for the Hawks to play, I would have wanted to see Philly. Uh, I think it's a better matchup for them, and that's with Embiid. And obviously without Embiid, it becomes even, uh, even more fortunate for Atlanta. But it should be pretty interesting. I feel like there's a lot to dig into over the course of the series, kind of no matter what happens. If Embiid plays, there is nuance there. If he doesn't play, then Philly's got to do a lot of adjustments and – We'll chronicle, we'll chronicle it all the way through. Are you uh, writing about the series anywhere in particular uh, or doing locker room and stuff throughout uh, the series? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly just doing locker room stuff. I'll be on a – I'm going on a Liberty Ballers podcast tomorrow, which is the place I write, um, with Sean Kennedy and Dan Olinger to preview that series. But I don't – maybe I'll have a piece or two out, but most of my Sixers coverage these days is coming via podcast. I just, just got so much other stuff trying to cover the NBA in the written form that the podcast has been kind of the – the most time-friendly way for me to do things and still provide insight, but we'll see. I'm, like, this, this is a really fascinating matchup to me, so if something piques my interest, by all means, I'll, I'll maybe I'll get some words down. But uh, yeah, the, I'm really excited for this series. It's it's a gigantic bummer, regardless, you know, of the matchup that MB isn't playing. But for sure. even more so because I think this is a fantastic matchup, uh, you know, for both sides and should be should be really entertaining. Hopefully, you know, we can get a, a mostly healthy series from both of these teams. That would be entertaining and certainly good for all parties. I would encourage everyone to follow Jackson, who I who I do work with on on Dime on occasion, and I've been on your locker room to discuss all kinds of Hawks things at one point in time, and I'm sure we'll talk throughout the series. But people should be following Jackson; he does a great job all, all across the league, not, not just Philly. I, I'm not I'm not trying to peg you as the Philly guy, but you were the first person <laughs> I wanted to call. Um, so thank you for doing this, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Happy to come on, and uh, yeah, likewise to to uh, your Hawks coverage and the NBA in general. general. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the show, follow Jackson's work, follow me if you would like to, and we'll see you next time.